Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, The Future of Podcast has launched its second season by connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that mean the most to you. The Future of Podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to The Future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, or everywhere podcasts are found, and connect at atb.com slash thefutureof. The hottest place that I can remember being is probably in the Middle East. So we were in Izmir, and it was, I'm going to use Celsius here. I apologize for all of our Fahrenheiters out there. But, There's uh, lots of converters out there. You can figure it out. It was pushing 40, I want to say. That's very, very hot for a couple of Canadians who usually <laughs> top out at around 30. Like, I melted anything above 25, so. Yeah, like like 30 degrees is a hot day in Edmonton. A very hot day. Yeah, so. I think I top out at 40. 40 degrees is the hottest place I've ever been, and it was in BC. I had pulled up in front of my cousin's house. I have family in Kamloops. And I had pulled up in front of my cousin's house, and the thermometer on my car read 40 degrees. Fair enough. And let's be fair. Probably, if I really crunched the numbers, I could find a 40-degree day, even in Edmonton, that we experienced at some point oh, over the last probably. many years. It's just the one of the hottest places I can remember going would have been when we were in Izmir. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a bright and sunny and hot day. Yeah, because we've been, we've been to Florida together, and it was hot. And it was humid. It was Ugh. much more humid than it that's, was in Izmir. That's the killer in Florida, is that it's yeah. humid. So it feels like 8,000 degrees. But I don't remember it being quite as hot as it was that day that we went and saw, like, a heritage festival or some such at, at, in Izmir. There yeah, was, I don't even know what it was. It was just people out celebrating and doing stuff. Yeah, was there, cool. was, there was, like, a festival going on in the park that we were walking through. It, we didn't go on a specific tour while we were there. We just kind of went ashore and wandered around a bit. And it was lovely. It was a very nice place to visit. I don't know. Once once you top like 27-ish degrees and then my melting has begun, I just remember it as too hot. Yeah. Right? Like I hit a threshold and then I'm just too hot. I have uh, gone on record before and I, I will now on the podcast that uh, 24, 25 degrees with a light breeze, perfect. Perfect temperature. And I would take extreme cold over extreme hot any day. Because you can bundle up and you can get yourself warm when it's cold, but when it's extremely hot, there comes a point where you just can't escape it. And that is miserable. (laughs) Yeah, there's only so many layers you can take off in the hot. Yeah. Whereas when you're cold, assuming you have the resources, you can layer on until you're warm. Yeah, it's much easier to find ways to get yourself warm than it is to get yourself cool, in my experience, so... I mean, again, we're a bunch of Canadians up here in the frozen North, eh? And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm being facetious, but at the same time, we're used to cold winters. 
And so we're just a little more acclimatized to that. So that, that might be my experience, my lived experience speaking as well. Mm-hmm. Someone who grew up on the equator might take a look at minus 25 weather where I'm walking around in a light coat and jeans and be like, how can you tolerate that? Impossible. <laughs> I would freeze to death in minutes. Like <laughs> Step outside, turn into a popsicle. Yeah. To be fair, in minus 25, you do not go out in a light coat and jeans. You go out in your medium winter jacket. And jeans. And jeans. Yeah. Anything below minus 25 is when you get a deep winter coat. Yes, there are levels of winter coats. We have that in Canada. It's true. But our story <laughs> Sorry, is yeah. no longer taking place in Canada. We should get back on topic. Yeah. That, well, that was my segue. <laughs> uh, they are no longer in Canada. They have flown to a warm place, which is... Uh, why I, I brought it up. Yeah. But uh, just to give us a quick recap of uh, the last chapter which brought us here, our heroes board a flight in Edmonton after noticing a mysterious man following them in the airport and mm. having a and having a not-so-great goodbye with Rutger. And en route, find out that they are going to be detained upon arriving in Morocco. And that pretty much leads us directly into Chapter 11 of Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. So they arrive in Morocco and are immediately detained. <laughs> <laughs> As predicted. Yeah, that that's basically how the chapter starts. Uh, they get pulled aside by security practically the moment they get off the plane. They're handcuffed immediately. Nick starts to have a panic attack almost instantly. But Johnny's playing it real cool. As Johnny do. Now, a combination of air sickness, fear, and the burning hot Moroccan air uh, quickly accumulates in Nick into a need to purge. (laughs) That is a very polite way of saying it. Yeah, and I don't mean purge as in the purge film. I mean purge as in out it all comes. But this is actually a very good distraction, if an unexpected one perhaps, which Johnny takes advantage of, uh, managing to make her move, grab Nick, and the two of them bolt out of the airport, basically. Yeah. I would like to point out that they are both in handcuffs Yeah, at this point. They aren't arrested because no one says to them anything about being under arrest. Nope. Right? But they are cuffed. This does not bode well. No, this is definitely not the secret welcoming committee you had predicted might be the case. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping deep down. They run out into the street, make their way a few blocks away from the airport, kind of zigzagging around to avoid anybody really noticing them. They they quickly get lost in the crowd. There's a lot of people around. There's an epic traffic jam going on outside. And they duck into an alley and catch their breaths for a minute. Nick, like, guzzles down a whole bottle of water to rehydrate. Uh, Johnny has lifted some sunglasses off of one of the guards during the, the quick fracas that they were involved in and uses them to pick the locks on their handcuffs to, to free them. Yeah, apparently handcuff locks are fairly easy to pick. Well, that's actually factual. Is um, it? Most, uh, most law enforcement handcuffs are all mass produced by the same manufacturer and they all use the same master key apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're they're not actually that hard to get out of. And if you are able to obtain a, a pair of them, you can have the key. Um, they're just, they're hard for civilians to get their hands on. But Fair it's enough. not impossible. But then you would have the key that would allow you to just let yourself out of a police officer's handcuffs. It can be done, which is why a lot of police officers now use zip ties. Yes. <laughs> because those are much harder to get out of. Well, and you have to imagine most people have their hands cuffed behind their back. Which is, it's harder to maneuver 
behind your back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Making it that much more difficult to get out of. Well, and Johnny even says it's easier to get someone else out than to get yourself out, yeah. which is why she springs Nick first. Pity she couldn't have taught Nick how to how to pick a lock so he could have done it for her. But time is of the essence here. Yeah. So that whole scene got very action movie. Yeah, it reads really right? fast, which yeah. is which is good writing because it's it's like a fast paced action break in, mm-hmm. in the narrative. The whole part about like jumping over stuff and running through the streets. Very action movie. After they've taken their quick break, Johnny says they're still a little too close to the airport, wants to put a little more distance between them and where security might be actively hunting for them at mm-hmm. that time. Nick asks, do you have any idea where we are? And Johnny's like, we're in Casablanca. <laughs> like, I know that much. That's we'll... about as far as she can go. Yeah, we'll have time to check in a bit. Johnny stops and grabs some cash from an ATM, so which it bodes well. It means her accounts haven't been frozen or anything. They also get some, like, scarves to put around their heads, A, to protect them from, again, the intense heat. Nick complains about it frequently through the chapter. Well, they are in Northern Africa. And also just to help them blend in a little more. Uh, They might look a little more like locals or tourists if they're more dressed more appropriately. Yeah. It's hard to follow the white scarves when everyone is wearing a white scarf. Yeah. Johnny also tells him to hold tight to to the bag that he's got strapped to him because he doesn't have a travel bag. He just has a regular bag. She has a special travel bag. Mm hmm which you're familiar with because yeah, you had a similar one I when have we went a, abroad. I have a special travel purse. Same thing, the mesh metal that can't be just cut through, the strap that can't be ripped off, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's all like lightly metal reinforced. Nick also kind of marvels at how the street scene is not what he was expecting. Because on the one hand, it is very foreign. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that's jumping out at him as unusual from from his lived experience being a a homebody in Canada. But at the same time, there's a lot of really familiar touchstones, mm-hmm. which is actually a little calming to him. It makes him realize, hey, we're living in a global world. Yeah, people are people no matter where you go. Yeah. Having found a safe moment, uh, Johnny does finally check her map. And her real immediate concern is, oh, you know what? I was expecting that we just take another flight from the airport to Fez, which is only about another hour away by air. I wasn't really accounting in our in our travel plan for the fact that we were going to be detained and that we would no longer have access to the airport. So there's like a four-hour drive ahead of us. That's a problem. And Nick's like, and we don't have a car. <laughs> and she's like, let me handle it. <laughs> they double back toward the airport so Johnny can arrange for some bus tickets. Basically, they're heading to the bus depot. And they're they're moving kind of st- – they're doing their stealth walks yeah, through the all, crowd. Being all sneaky like. Nick, Nick's, Nick's trying not to be so tall. Yeah, he <laughs> uh, he realizes that he's actually uh, taller than the average for uh, the people of Morocco. So he kind of stands out a little bit. But he also realizes for the first time in his life, he's staring at a sea of other brown faces. And it's the white faces that are standing out. Yeah. Because they're the foreigners. And it's a very surreal experience for him to not be the outsider. Yeah, he's used to everything being the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Except that he's tall. Except that he's tall. (laughs) Yeah. Because the white faces are the ones that are standing out, Nick is able to recognize someone in the crowd. Yeah. And it is the mysterious man from the Edmonton International Airport, the, the guy in the blue Adidas jacket. Yeah, the Adidas man. And Nick is like, oh, crap. And, like, as Johnny manages to bargain uh, some bus tickets at the counter, he kind of grabs her and pulls her aside and is like, the dude from the Edmonton airport that you told me to look out for is totally here. Which surprises him because he didn't see him on the flight. Yeah. So either he found some magic way to get here or he was flying in economy. (laughs) They just didn't see him because they were up in business class. Also could have been. Yeah. 
they agree the man is clearly looking for them. And Nick's like, well, like, we need to make a move. What bus are we supposed to be getting on? And Johnny's like, that one that's leaving right there. <laughs> the one that's driving away. And Nick is like, oh. And she just grabs him and they run after him. <laughs> run, 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 bus. And to be fair, that's actually very canny of her. I'm impressed with how smart that was. Because grabbing the bus that's leaving right now means that they can get on that bus right now and be on their way. No, like waiting around in the bus depot to get caught or, right. or spotted by someone. Right. Also real difficult for Adidas man to get on that bus. Without a ticket. With a, that's moving without a ticket. Exactly. Like, that, is a, that is a fast and, uh, I hope, productive escape. Now, the bus is packed. Of course it is. Like shoulder to shoulder. And Nick is surprised she was even able to get tickets on a bus that was so full of people. And Johnny's like, yeah, well, it turns out, like, bribery is a really good way to get a ticket for a full bus. Right? She doesn't outright say it's bribery. But Nick is like, oh, you totes bribed that guy. And she's like, well, yeah, but, you know, it worked. He is kind of impressed. And Johnny says, look, at the end of the day, money talks. It's a really good safety cushion for when things go wrong. It can't get you all the way to what you want often, but it can make it a lot easier to get you where you want to go. She's not wrong. Yeah. It also makes Nick reflect a little bit. And I mean, he has in this book already like upbraided her on at least one occasion for just trying to solve all of her problems with money. But here with a calmer head, he recognizes that despite the fact that Johnny has access to a great deal of wealth, she doesn't move through the world like a person who has access to a great deal of wealth. Like, you see how movie stars and royals and billionaires move through society. But Johnny's just this girl who's dressed down, traveling with her friend, with her rucksack. And she has access to wealth that could, that she could buy a helicopter right now and they could fly there. And a driver, like, for the helicopter. But that's not how she moves through the world. And it's because she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. Yeah. Because she's when not, you she's not one to flaunt it. Yeah, when you cuz when you do flaunt it, you attract attention. And yeah. even from jump in this book, she is someone who has been kind of ducking attention. Well, yeah. One of the things that comes up in a bit of a, an anecdote about her in this chapter is a time when they were just on the bus going somewhere in Edmonton, and some physicist accosted her on the bus and just started like shouting at her because she had ruined his life. And I mean, legit, because she probably scienced something that discredited something that he was working on or something. Quite probably. She has previously also said, like, she has to deal with this institution and this boys club within the scientific community that looks down on her because she is a young girl. Yep. Who is making groundbreaking discoveries on the main. So you can kind of understand how this would develop into a desire to do great things, but stay under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I just think, I think that uh, a combination, like Nick's kind of piecing together that realization at this moment. So I think that this was the appropriate time to kind of discuss it a little more. Yeah. In a little more detail. Except <laughs> I have not much else to say. I would just be repeating you because I, I agree. You That was a very good explanation. I pat myself on the back there. Good job, honey. We learn a little bit more about the library they're headed to. It's not open to the public. It is a very old institution that is under renovation. And so they're going to need to kind of improvise to get access to it, as Johnny puts it. I get a little worried whenever Johnny says she wants to improvise something. I mean, she improvised getting them on the bus and that worked out. Okay, that's one. Uh, she also explains that Fez is kind of a thin place in the world. 
a place where our world and other worlds intersect a little more closely. And it's always been kind of a, a nexus point for weird stuff. And with more magic seeping into the world as we get closer to this grand conjunction, she doesn't know how much worse things might be. Like there might be more people around who can do magic. There might be monsters crawling around. Hard to say. So basically be on your toes. When she was talking about the thin places and such and just the way it was described, I almost felt like they were talking about ley lines. Yeah, that that's a good way to put it if you're if you're looking at it through like a geomantic lens. Mm-hmm. Without actually saying the words ley lines. Yeah, I've I mean I've heard them described as liminal spaces or thin places or ley lines or nexuses. Yeah. Uh depending on your fiction or what kind of <laughs> yeah. uh magical theory you're ascribing to them or occult theory. But yeah, I, I just kind of used thin place here because I just like the way that sounds. <laughs> oh, makes sense. She's also been doing some thinking about the impossible box some more because for a while now, she was uncertain apparently exactly how it was generating so much energy. She just knew it was. What she thought it was doing, it wasn't. What was actually happening apparently was that the atoms were shifting, phase shifting between this dimension and another really fast and that was generating energy. And she's just sussed that out now. That's good, but on the other hand, she hasn't quite figured out why they want it. Capital T, they. Yeah. I could wager a guess. It's effectively a dimensional portal in a box. Yeah, basically. As opposed to waiting for someone to open the door or finding a space thin enough, that is essentially the key. It's not even a key. It's something that lets you walk through the walls. Yeah, that that could be the case. That explains, at least if that's, if I'm right, that explains why they want it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very solid theory. And that could be why. They, like, she immediately assumed they wanted it as a weapon, but they could want it as a gateway or a key. Yeah. That is very possible. And the fact that she doesn't know for sure does bother her. Because she's like, that means that in one way, they're one step ahead of her. And that is bad. <laughs> that is yes. bad news when you're trying to outsmart ancient evils. It's not great if they're one step ahead of you. <laughs> Johnny decides she needs to take a nap. So she lays down. And Nick is still wired from everything that's happened. And possibly a little woozy. Yeah. So he decides to kind of take a minute and kind of brush up on what's going on. Because, again, Johnny rarely stops long enough to actually tell him stuff in enough detail that he can really understand it. Yeah. So he pulls out her notes and tries to, like, catch himself up a little bit on what she already knows about the history of all this. What he reads is not... Super good. (laughs) But no. First of all, he does learn that there is, in fact, an opposing batch of entities to the ancient ones called the Elder Gods. I'm sure we're going to come right back to them in just a minute. Sure. Why don't we go into the Lovecraft box? Oh, you want to go now? Sure. All right, let's go now. So, in the expanded uh, Lovecraft mythos... Um, there are ancient ones, your great old ones, your your vast, powerful titans. And then there are the elder gods, who tend to be more benign and more on humanity's side, but often simply because they're more opposed to the ancient ones. And that's where you have like your Hypnos, your Bast, your your Nodens. These are these are entities who have made appearances in Lovecraft or Lovecraftian works and tend to be, again, more diametrically opposed to these vast incomprehensible entities that uh, exist on the fringes of any sane and rational universe. Um, and that seems to be the case here in in Premium Muhammad's 
fiction. <laughs> uh, these these elder gods also existed, and I say existed because they might not so much anymore. Um, yeah, there's mention of of one for sure that's definitely dead. Oh yeah. Uh, another one, Nick looks up, that's uh, missing. Yeah, <laughs> MIA. Uh, apparently the two sides have battled for a long time, and the Elder Gods were able to keep the Ancient Ones trapped for a time, but eventually they were all defeated or trapped or killed to the point where things are, are kind of depleted on their side, and they're not going to be much help likely at this juncture. Unfortunately. Johnny's also been apparently looking back at major human tragedies to decide if maybe they had a hand in it. And she's pretty sure about some and kind of crosses off some others and is not sure about a few. But th like she brings up like the Salem witch trials and the Holocaust and stuff like that. Just trying to figure out, could they have been like harvesting souls during some of these instances? Yeah. Could there have been occult activity going on? How many on? of these things are connected and how many are just people being terrible? Yeah, she's also looked back at some destroyed civilizations and the implications that the ancient ones were involved in those. She mentions Carthage in particular as one of them. Uh, the sinking of Lemuria. Um, the city of Ur. Yeah. And she's also marked out several monolith sites across both Europe and the Middle East, which I believe might be her trying to pinpoint likely gate locations, maybe. Yeah, makes sense. Nick is a bit overwhelmed by all this. Number one, it's, it's just a tremendous amount of information to take in all at once. And number two, he had thought that maybe Johnny was exaggerating what was going on a little bit. And now he's thinking, oh, no, she was actually downplaying things. Yeah, it's, it's real bad. Like, it's a lot more apocalyptic than she was implying. And that is... Very bad, because for centuries, like entire societies and vast armies and ancient wizards and kings and gods have been fighting the ancient ones barely to a standstill. And at the moment, it's the two of them. Yeah. That does not bode well. But he does try to say, hey, what, the one thing that all of those ancient people didn't have was Johnny. <laughs> and... I mean, she's Johnny the Prodigy. She can solve any problem and save the world, right? That's what she does. It's Tuesday for her is saving the world. We can do this. Nick's, right? <laughs> Nick's complex emotional feelings aside, he has nothing but faith in Johnny. I think... Nothing, nothing but confidence in her. I don't think that's true. I don't think he, that's true either. <laughs> he admits to himself in this moment that, like, he's desperately clinging to a hope here. Um, it's not that he doesn't believe in Johnny. It's that he doesn't believe that Johnny's enough. We'll find out. Especially because, like, she's been she's been working for the bad guys. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know if... Knowingly it, or not. I don't know if I would say working for the bad guys. I would argue it's more accurate to say that she's been working with the bad guys. Not for them. Not not to advance their agenda. Uh, but when you're working with the bad guys, they're probably letting you do it because you're advancing their agenda. Maybe. Yeah. And she did build the impossible box, which they want, which seems to have been advancing their agenda. Yes. She probably didn't know it. Because I don't know that she would knowingly build something for them. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, like though... she was tricked into it. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, Nick needs to believe that she can do it because the alternative is... Utter like, despair? Is despair. The The alternative is to get out of the bus and get underneath it and just let it roll over him. Like yeah. that is that is the just, alternative. Just walk into the desert and give himself to the sand. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, because they're, they're, I think they're pretty far from the ocean. Yeah. 
So, I mean, like, you find what hope you can in in an impossible situation. You cling to it. Like a a life preserver. And at the moment, that's a Johnny. So, yeah, but that ends chapter 11. Mm -hmm. I especially liked uh, how Nick was our our audience surrogate this chapter. Well, I mean, Nick is our audience surrogate through the whole book. No, I know he is. But specifically in this chapter, I really appreciated it. Because what we got from Nick were very vivid descriptions Mm -hmm. of what it's like where he is mm-hmm. and uh, really simple explanations of things as he tries to process what's going on. It's just made it really accessible to anyone who's reading it. I mean, on the one hand, it's important for us not to be in Johnny's head because she knows more than we do. And if we were in her head right from jump, we'd know everything. Um, but also because she's a super genius, and it's hard to write I think, that. I think being inside Johnny's head would just be a messy stream of consciousness book, and it would be very different. And I don't mean to, I, I, this is not meant to in any way disparage Premi Muhammad. It is hard to be in the mind of someone who is smarter than you. Yes. And again, that's not meant as a slam on Premi Muhammad, but Johnny is a is a literal magic super genius, and Premi Muhammad presumably... Is not. So well, it's hard to write from that perspective, right? Right. It's hard to be in that brain. Like I said, it would be a very, very different book. Yes. It would be like an absurdist work <laughs> if we were inside Johnny's head. Whereas Nick is a much more accessible, much more grounded uh, character to write the perspective of. Yeah, it just makes sense. And then we can also follow his journey as we learn more about this world that Johnny's already been kind of steeped in for a while. So Yeah, it's an excuse to explain things to your reader. And I just really like how it's how it was done this time. Nick is Johnny's Dr. Watson. <laughs> yes. He is her Doctor Who companion. I would say more Dr. Watson. But uh yeah, the the companions are there for the same reason. The doctor is uh such a such an alien character in so many ways that having a regular human around gives the audience a bit of a surrogate to be in his adventures with. Yes, exactly. And that's that's kind of the same role here. And again, uh, Dr. Watson is the non-genius. It's easier for Doyle to write Watson than it is for him to write in Sherlock's head. Well, yeah. Because Sherlock is a, is a genius in a way that Doyle isn't. We got it. Yeah. We know what we're talking about. Yeah. And I didn't even get into the Watsonian versus Doyleist thing again this time. Good job. So, hooray. <laughs> It'll probably come up. Uh, probably. Yeah. Anyway, maybe it'll come up next chapter. That'll be chapter 12. You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. Yes. In the meantime, uh, ads. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Yay! Edmonton Community Foundation. We may or may not have spoken about them before. We've had a lot of their ads lately, but you know what? I'm fine with it. They're, yeah. they're good people. Exactly. They're good people. They've been longtime supporters of the network, and we are happy to take their money <laughs> and then tell you about them Absolutely. in exchange. So you can find out more about them and the other supporters of the podcast uh, network. Not just our podcast, but the entire network. Right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, check out some of the other podcasts. Some of them are award-winning podcasts. 
Some of them are award-nominated podcasts. Some of them are just podcasts, but they're still excellent podcasts worth your time. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find those podcasts, uh, once again, at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can also find them on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Maybe give us a little rating and a review. We would appreciate that. We would. We, we look for feedback. Yeah. Constructive criticisms, even. It's true. We're into it. Uh, you can send us feedback as well on the social medias. Yes. Pick your poison. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the Read Along on most of those. You can also send us an email. We are the Read Along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. On a Moroccan bus tour. Woo! Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs> <laughs>